If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of James again. We'll continue there. We're almost done. We've uh, we've covered five chapters in the book of James, verse by verse. I think I've taught 21 sermons in the book of James so far. This I think this is 22. I may be wrong. I want to cover another wonderful section of Scripture tonight. It's it's one of encouragement and um, uplifting speech, and we all need that from time to time. I think that uh, Yahweh knows that we undergo troubles throughout our lives. He has to encourage us from time to time, and He does that through through many different many different ways, I guess. But people mainly, and His Word, and prophets, and and uh, teachers, and friends, and things like that. And so I'm I'm thankful that that Yahweh has sent people to encourage us and to keep us going. We need somebody to lift us up, and that's what the text of Scripture that we'll that we'll talk about tonight. I think that's what it's in there for is to edify the people that uh, James is talking to. So if you would, take your Bible, turn it to uh, James chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 7, and I want to read through verse through verse 11. All right, James 5, 7, it says, Therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Oh man, there's so, so very much that we could talk about in these four verses tonight. And um, there's a lot that probably should be covered, and we'll cover some of it to an extent, but we only have a, roughly an hour here, and so I have to do the best I can with the hour that I have. However, you can do more for your, yourself if you'll take the time to go behind me and read and study when you get home. If you'll just take the time to open your Bible, see what these uh, see what these verses have to say. And like I said, I'll do the best I can. But I was telling, I was telling Tori the other day. She was telling me not just a couple of days ago, my youngest, that every time she reads, she always has a hard time just just reading something simple like Psalms one one. We would think with the first verse in the first chapter of Psalms, it seems pretty simple to us. But but to children that don't speak the language, the biblical language or the poetic language, they don't hear that. It's hard for them. It's hard for them to understand and to to pull out what what the writers actually have in it but i told her that it's important to to ask before you pray, before you before you study or before you read take 30 seconds and ask Yahweh to open your eyes to open your ears and to open your heart and fill it with whatever he has to fill it with and let and let that work and Yahweh will do that i really believe that that's the way it works i believe when i study that it's important that i do that that i take the time and ask Yahweh to open my eyes to open my ears and to open my heart so that I can receive what he has for me. I think about the times like when Randy says he receives those little nuggets. I agree. I think those little nuggets are, are something to behold. And those little nuggets, while they can come at times in church, and I hope that when I teach and or when, when Matthew teaches or whatever, I hope that what you get out of um, what we say, I hope they are nuggets. And I hope that you take it home and I hope that it sticks. But most of the time... When I get those nuggets, it's not when I'm sitting here in church. It's when I go home, when I'm sitting by myself, when it's quiet, 
when I'm sitting at the table, at, you know, on, a, on the Sabbath morning and I'm reading the Bible and nobody's around me and everything's quiet and I can contemplate on what I'm reading, that's when those things ring the truest to me. And so, um, so while we do learn here, and I know that we do, we will tonight, hopefully, I hope that you get something, just take the time to read and study on your own and do so with an open mind. I always do it asking Yahweh's blessing upon, upon what you're reading, and I believe that he'll, that he'll fill our hearts with what he have, you know, have to be there. So I tell you that just to remind you to be a Berean and that Yahweh will use, use his vessels and their writings to prick your hearts as long as you'll diligently search and seek Him, and serve Him with all you got. I believe that Yahweh will always bless you that way. We'll read James chapter 5 and start in verse 7 tonight, and we'll see what we can get out of it here, and maybe maybe we can throw out a few nuggets. Maybe somebody will be able to take something home. So, Anyway, verse 7, it says, Therefore, brothers, be patient until Yahweh's coming. And that's basically the theme throughout the whole section of this of scripture right here that we're dealing with. It's nothing new or off the wall. It's just a reminder to be patient. Patient through our trials and troubles in life. How many people in here know that we're going to endure troubles and trials? It doesn't matter which road we take or how we approach life. We're all going to experience troubles and trials throughout the course of life. From all spectrums of the rainbow, it may be a flat tire when you're running late for work. It may be trouble with your children, a sickness, marriage troubles, death of a loved one. We'll all experience troubles and trials throughout life. It's it's going to happen. Well, James has that in mind here, and he's, and he's trying to encourage his brothers to be patient while enduring that, their trials and troubles. This is not a new thing. As a born-again child of Yahweh, we should know that we will endure trials. We should all know that. But more so because we're Yahweh's children. We will, en- we will endure trials a whole lot worse because we're Yahweh's children. See, every, everybody in life endures trials, but those who are joint heirs with Yeshua endures trials that the rest of the world doesn't. We'll receive trials that, that other people won't ever endure. Sometimes we're persecuted for the truth or for the sake of the Messiah or even for certain doctrines that we hold on to as truth. Some people just don't like them. Jerry was talking about it a while ago. Somebody was aggravating him a little bit about keeping the commandments. That's a doctrine that he'll be persecuted for just because of the way that he believes. But consider the words of Yeshua in John chapter 15 and 18 through 19. It says, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Jerry, if you didn't keep the commandments, I guarantee you, you would never get any riff from anybody that doesn't keep the commandments. Now, you would get it from us. We would remind you of your sin. And we would beg for you to change your ways. But if, you were, if you're trying to fit in with the world, all you have to do is act just like them. So if you don't keep the commandments, they won't bother you. But Yeshua tells them, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love you just as its own. However, because you're not of the world, Jerry, but I have chosen you out of the world, the world will automatically hate you. It's going to hate you for what you're doing. The righteousness that you bring forth in life, the world's going to despise you for it. This is a hate that we should desire. This is a trouble that we should want. Jerry, this is something that you should desire. You should want somebody to hate you for being righteous. Or not necessarily hate you, but it shouldn't bother you that somebody does. Because that hatred and trouble comes from from not being of the world. And with that kind of trouble comes along blessings and compassion from above. So James is saying, be patient in your trials and troubles. Now keep in mind, this hinges off the the six verses that preceded it. We're in verse 7, but the six verses before it, remember last time I taught, it was about the wicked riches. We talked about about gaining wicked riches. And James condemned the wicked wealthy in the first six verses of chapter 5. 
But now in verse 7, he goes from condemning the wicked wealthy to uplifting the righteous poor, or the persecuted brothers. Notice the word therefore in verse 7. That means that the thought continues from the previous verses. So verse 6, James says, You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man, and he does not resist you. Well, the thought continues from there into James in verse 7, into chapter 5, verse 7. And James says, Therefore, now switching over to the one not resisting the wicked wealthy, the one being condemned and murdered, and he says, Be patient. Be patient in what? What's he talking about? He says, Be patient in your suffering or your trial. He's just moved from verse 6 into verse 7. He's telling the man that's been persecuted, he says, hey, you be patient. When they, when they persecute you, when they murder you, when they do these kind of things, he says, you be patient. Remember Paul in Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas have went to Antioch and uh, Iconium, I think. In chapter 14, somewhere around verses 19 and 20. While he's in Antioch, The Bible says that the Judahite leaders there, they won over the crowds and they stoned Paul and they dragged him outside the city because they thought he was dead. Then it says he got up, he went out, he went into town after the disciples surrounded him and the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. This proves that Paul liked horse racing. No, I'm just teasing. That's not what it proves. What it means is after the Judahite stoned Paul and drug him out in the streets because they thought he was dead, they drug him outside the town. Some of the brothers come and surrounded Paul. They helped him up, and they got him up, and him and Barnabas left town. Paul had just been stoned, but they left town, and they go to a town called Derby. And then in verse 21 and 22, it says that after they had evangelized that town and made disciples, talking about the town of Derby, after Paul and Barnabas had evangelized that town and made disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening their hearts of the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way to the kingdom of Yahweh. Now I want you to get this picture. Paul's, Paul's in Iconium. Or in, uh, yeah, in Iconium. He's get, he gets stoned. Paul and uh, Barnabas leave. They go to Derby, And while they're in Derby, he, he, he gathers up some of the disciples. Now they're fisting to go back. To, um, to Iconium and to Lystra and to Antioch. And on their way back, he tells all of his disciples, he says, look, be of courage. Strengthen your hearts. Do this stuff because we're going back and we're going to preach the gospel to these guys, the same gospels that just stoned me and drug me out in the street and left me for dead. And he tells them, he says, you must do these things and you'll have many troubles on your way to the kingdom. That's what's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to endure trials. Things like that are going to, going to come your way. Paul was persecuted nearly to his death right there, and yet he encourages the disciples to continue in the faith and understand that troubles will come your way when your goal is the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, troubles aren't easy on our flesh, but they are refining to our spiritual man. They are good for us. Consider Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. It says, Consider that the sufferings of this present time, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. In other words, whatever we may suffer and have to endure in life pales in comparison with the glory of what is to come when the Messiah returns. And remember, we may not like to hear it, but again I say it to you, our our trials are great for spiritual growth. They are really good for you. 
They mold us, shape us into what Yahweh desires us to be, and it's for His glory that we undergo them. Patience in our trials, patience through persecution, that is the test of our faith. So James says, be patient because this is the way that we should be. Endure the persecution because our Lord did this. It is fitting that James tells us this too because what's the first thing that we do when we undergo a trial? When trouble comes our way, what's the first thing we do? We want to pout. Or we want to whine and scream. We might want to blame it on somebody else, scream at our brothers. Or maybe even blame it on Yahweh, take it out on some other brother. We definitely don't want to be patient and watch Yahweh work. That's that's not our nature. We don't want to see what Yahweh has for us or what he has to do with us or how he's trying to mold us and make us what he wants us to be. But James here calls for something different. He wants us to be patient. It's kind of like what he says in chapter 1 when he says, Find joy in your trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Well, it's the same thing here. But instead, being patient with your circumstances in chapter 1, James chapter 1, he's talking about being patient with your circumstances. And here in James chapter 5, he's talking about being patient with people. Just like the man in verse 6, the man that is undergoing the persecution by the people who have obtained wicked riches, he says, be patient. This, this man that is undergoing that persecution, he doesn't even resist you. The righteous man doesn't resist the one who condemns him and murders him. But rather, he's patient with his oppressors. So James has given an exhortation to Yahweh's children, our believers, to be patient. As believers, when someone persecutes us for our faith or our beliefs, we are to endure with patience towards them. We're not to endure with patience someone who is mistreating us instead of retaliating or seeking vengeance. After all, who is vengeance for? Yahweh says that it's reserved for him in Romans chapter 12. Instead, we're to be patient, just like Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation. Be patient. Give him time. The word patient in Second Peter is the same word patient in James chapter 5 and verse 7. It's the Greek word makrothamia, and it means to be long-suffering or long-tempered, as opposed to what? As opposed to being short-tempered. Yahweh is long-suffering. He's long-tempered as opposed to be short-tempered. Think about it. What if Yahweh was short-tempered and not long-suffering to us? We'd be destroyed already, right? So instead, we're created in His image, and so we're to be like Him, long-suffering and patient. But for how long? How long must we endure patience? Well, until the second coming of Yeshua. That's what the Scripture says right there. That's what the verse says. Be patient until the Lord's coming. James doesn't tell us when he's coming back. He doesn't make any predictions. He's not doing that right here. He just says, be patient until he comes back. He doesn't say if you can hold on till Wednesday next week. He says, be patient until he comes back. Like Paul said, if we're kingdom bound, there's going to be some trouble along the way. But James says we must endure it all the way until the second coming of Yeshua. By the way, no prosperity teacher will ever teach you that. Prosperity teachers don't teach you to be patient while you're under, while you're undergoing trials or anything like that. You won't hear Joel Osteen say, sow a seed and reap some trouble on the way to the kingdom. That won't happen because that won't sell. When, if, you, if you win somebody with a, with a promise of riches and stuff like that, when the riches don't come, you'll lose them the same way. And Joel Osteen and your uh, prosperity teachers, they can't teach this message right here that James is teaching because it won't sell. Nobody wants to hear it. Not too many people are interested in sowing seeds into troubled times. But James doesn't ask you to sow a seed. He only asks you to consider the one who does sow the seeds and watch 
how he is patient. And he gives us an example. And look at the rest of verse 7. It says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. Well, James is showing us what we're to do. He's talking about being patient, enduring until the Lord comes back. It's not symbolic. It's just an example. There's nothing hidden here. He just says, consider the farmer. Look at the farmer. Like Matthew said in his sermon before last, the Israelite people were agrarians. They would have known what it meant. They would have known what it meant to sow and to reap. And that's why Yahweh's people use agriculture in their stories and in their parables. It creates a vivid language, which was easy to understand for them. That's all James is doing here. Think about how when a farmer plants, he first prepares the ground and he plants the seed, and he waits for the first rain. He waits for the early rain. That's what James says. Consider the farmer how he waits for the early rain, or he's patient for the early rain. Well, the early rain has to come first. And once that rain has come and the plant begins to grow, he then has to wait for the latter rains or the late rains. While he waits, the sun bakes the plant, and at times I'm sure that the plant looks like it's going to wither. I know that when I planted plants in the past, um, Frankie gave me some pepper plants the other day, and I planted them. And I planted them in the garden, and I, I gave them a little bit of water to start with just to, just to get them wet. And as they grew, as they started to grow, I, I refused to water that garden because of the way I'm, try, I'm trying to garden, so I, don't, I won't water it. And, that, and there, there comes times when those plants look like they're just, I mean, they're going to die out. They, get, they just get withered down a little bit. And soon enough, if I'm patient long enough, Yahweh waters that garden. And so, they are, so the early part of the rains come, and then that plant, it'll just thrive, and it'll grow up, and it'll get real big. And then later on, the latter rains come. Being patient, we wait on the latter rains come, and it produces fruit and vegetation and things like that. And the plant finishes exactly what it's supposed to do. And sooner or later, the late rains, once they've come, and the ground is soaked, and the plant thrives into a beautiful plant which produces food for the farmer. That's the idea here. In the same way, that that we're sure that the late rains will come, we also are sure that Yahweh's Son will come. The same way Yahweh promises that those late rains will come, He's ordained the late rains to come, He's also ordained that His Son will come when He's supposed to be here. And we're supposed to be patient just like Yahweh tells, the, tells us to be patient. James says, just consider the farmer. The farmer has to wait on the early rains, and then he has to wait on the late rains. Yeshua's already come, the early coming. The early coming's come. We've got, to late, we've got to wait on the late one. Yeshua had a lot to say about a second coming, too. Arnold says this a lot. Arnold talks about there's more, there's more said about the second coming than there is about the first coming. The first coming definitely happened. So if there's more said about the second coming, we can be assured that it's going to take place. But as a matter of fact, he taught that he, taught that he would return, and his return would be preceded by signs and wonders in Matthew 24. He said that the sun would be dark and the moon would not shed its light. The stars would fall from the sky and the celestial powers would be shaken. He also said that the time could not be known by man, that the times leading up to his coming would be turmoil, and that there would be many persecutions of the saints. Maybe this is the reason for James's admonishment to be patient as we wait for the return. Do you know that there are 7,956 verses in the New Testament alone? I read somewhere that 612 of those verses say something about the the second coming of Yeshua. That's a lot to be said about. It's good that we have those verses to learn from. It seems to be that that's what most people want to focus on today. Most people in churches, that's what they want to study about. They want to study about the eschatology. 
the end times, the coming of Christ, things like that. And that's fine. That's fine. I'm glad that I'm glad that we have those verses in the Bible, and I'm excited about Yeshua's coming. But James is saying, be patient and wait on it, and be prepared while you wait. Be prepared. Prepare yourself. Don't be don't be the five foolish virgins, but rather be the five with the with oil in their lamps, and make sure that you're ready while we wait on His second coming. So we must be patient and endure troubles and trials until the second coming, until His return. The same way the farmer must be patient and endure the late season before his crop will yield what it's supposed to yield. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this. It says, You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. You also here is still in reference to the same brothers in verse 7. The same righteous poor in verse 6. He's comparing them to the fathers and to the farmers in verse 7. And he says, you also must be patient, just like the farmers. And here is how you do it. You strengthen your hearts. So how do we strengthen our hearts? Well, we talked about several ways in the first chapter of James, and I hope that you still remember what we talked about in the first chapter of James. For examples, I've put together four examples, and here's the first one. The first one is you ask for wisdom in times of troubles, and you let Yahweh guide you. And remember, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask Yahweh who gives to all generously. James 1.5. Number two, you become a doer of his word because his word strengthens you and guides you down a path of righteousness. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. That's James 1.22. Number three, you consider your blessings and realize where all the good in your life comes from. It says every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. That's James 1.17. And then four, you humble yourself, resolve issues with your brothers, and count on them for spiritual strength and guide and guidance until the coming of Yeshua, seeing how you seeing how you all are after the same goal. You rid yourself of moral filth and evil and humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. That's James one twenty one. Now I'm sure there are many other ways that you could be strengthened, but these are four that I thought of, all back from James chapter one. So James has taken everything that he said up until this point in his letter, and he's saying, do these things to strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Remember we talked about Paul just a minute ago being in Antioch, and he went to Derby with, with Barnabas. When he left, he was going back to Antioch, and he gathered up a bunch of disciples, and he strengthened their hearts. And he strengthened their hearts, and he encouraged his brothers to continue in their faith for the kingdom of Yahweh's sake. He says, knowing that we must endure many trials and troubles on our way to the kingdom. Maybe we also need to tell ourselves that it's just a short time here on earth, and it pales in comparison to eternity with Yahweh and His Son. Maybe we can strengthen others with the words of those who have gone before us. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6, and verses 9 and 10. He says, so we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. That's what we're supposed to do. So be strengthened, be encouraged, set yourself toward the end product, look toward the kingdom, and don't give up. Don't become like the surgeon's sea, but push on and hold on to the promises that were given to you and your fathers. Our fathers were given them and they were passed on to us. And it won't always be like this. If you're having troubles, if you're struggling in life, it won't always be this way. 
We just have to endure until the second coming. And when you wonder how long do I have to hold on, well, remember this. I don't know how long it is. I don't know when Christ is coming back, and nobody in here knows. Anybody makes a prediction, they're wrong for it. We don't know when he's coming back, but I guarantee you we're a whole lot closer than James was 2,000 years ago when he promised that. When he said, hold on, we're 2,000 years closer than he is. Yeshua didn't lie when he said where he goes, we'll go later. I believe that when he returns to receive his elect unto him, he'll do it. He really will do it. He said that I'm coming back, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and where I go, you shall come also, or you shall go also. I believe that. I really believe those words. I believe that he'll return and he'll draw his people unto him. Just because he told the disciples and the apostles that it was the last hour, or they were in the end times, but he still hasn't returned yet, that doesn't mean that he lied. Every moment from his first coming to his second coming is the last days. Did you get that? Every moment from his first coming to his second coming, we're in the last days. Those are the last days. I believe he left it that way so that we would continue to be diligent to live holy lives. He left it that way so that we wouldn't fall asleep, that we wouldn't fall by the wayside, but we would constantly look for his coming. Ron said a while ago that we're supposed to look for him, look for his coming. Well, if we fall asleep and just get get dull and we won't see us coming we're all to be found blameless according to titus 2:13. while we wait for the appearing of our great elohim and his savior yeshua the messiah we're supposed to be found blameless so while we wait james says strengthen your heart he is coming he promises he is coming be patient now that is the exciting side of his coming but i have to tell you there is also a fearful side of his coming in verse 9 let's let's read verse 9 it says, Brothers, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. So I think while we're trying to have patience, we're probably going to get a little bit frustrated from time to time. He's not come. I think that we may complain. We may complain to one another. You know, we're just we're tired of waiting or we're tired of living diligent lives or we're try, tired of pressing on for, for Yahweh. We can't be that way. What about people who teach or somebody who labors in the Word so that somebody else can receive it? You stand up here or, you, or wherever you go in the world, it doesn't matter who you are. If you labor in the Word to teach Yahweh's Word and you try to share it with somebody and somebody doesn't receive you, receive what you have to say, it gets old. It gets burdensome. You do all that for Yahweh and nobody cares that you even put forth the effort. I was talking to somebody yesterday that I think really has a has a love and a care for, for the Father. And it doesn't matter how much time you spent beforehand and witnessed to them, sometimes people just cling to what they've all, always known, and it doesn't matter how much proof you have or how many things you can show them, they hold fast to that which what they already know. And that's burdensome. That is burdensome. When you sit down and talk to somebody or and you can and they ask you a question and you answer them verbatim, verse for verse for verse, and everything you give them is scriptural, but they say, No, my preacher said it was like this. That's rough on a man that studies. That's hard on a man that prepares a message. When you when you stand up here and teach or anybody, when they stand up here and teach and they've they've spent weeks putting together a sermon and you teach and then somebody stands up and they have no biblical proof but they say, Well, I think it supposed to be like this man that great sets your soul that great sets you really really bad and so it may cause com- some complaining or murmuring 
And I think that's what's mentioned here in verse 9. James tells us not to do this because he doesn't want us to be judged. Don't murmur with these people. Don't don't be upset. Be patient with these people. They're growing. They're learning. They're trying to learn. Be patient with them. Have patience with them. I would assume he doesn't want us to be judged for the bitterness in our heart. I think that's that's what James is saying. So not only do we wait for the glorious appearing of our Lord because we want the kingdom that he has prepared for us, that was the exciting side of it, but we also need to be fearful of his coming because he's he is the judge that stands at the door and the judge that we will owe an account to. In Second Corinthians chapter five and verse ten it says this For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. Or maybe James had Romans fourteen ten in mind. I don't even think Romans fourteen ten was wrote yet, but I but I believe that James may he may be on the same path with Paul right here. In Romans fourteen ten it says, But you, why do you criticize your brother? Or you, why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of the Almighty. Now I tell you all that so that you can know this. Know that this is not just a coming of excitement and hope for those in Christ, but it's also a judgment for those who are not. Hence the reason he says, Look, the judge stands at the door. So just as he prepares the righteous for long-suffering, he is also preparing the not-so-righteous for a long-suffering. I thought about this as, a, as an example when Yeshua is coming back. It would be something like this. Everybody in here that has kids would know this. And everybody has been a kid, so they've probably experienced this. How many times have you been watching your kids? I've got a bunch of them, so they'd be playing together in their room, and I would come to the door... And I would hear some commotion going on, maybe one of them snatching a toy away from the other one or something. And I would come to the door, and I would just lean up against the door, and I'd do it real quietly. And so I would just stand there. And I'm looking in there, and they're playing, and one of the bigger ones is snatching something for the little one, and the little one's crying, I'm going to tell Dad. And Dad already knows he's standing there, you know. So I'm looking at the door, and, I mean, they're just they're fighting with each other. They're button heads. And then all of a sudden, the one that's snatching the toy looks up and sees me standing there, and they do this. You know, they got that they they've got that look in their eyes like, oh man, the wrath is coming. Well, rightly so. They've been caught, and James is saying the exact same thing here. He says, while you wait, be found blameless while you do so. He says, don't murmur with your brothers, don't bicker with your brothers and sisters. He says, be found blameless because the judge stands at the door. The one that's going to judge is watches everything you're doing. He knows all. That's the that's the dangest thing of all of it. He knows our heart. He knows everything inside of us. He knows how we think, how we feel, how we act. So how we remain patient? So how do we remain patient while we're expecting hardships and trials? Well, number one, we remember that Yeshua is coming and that our hope rests in Him. Number two, we remember that we don't want to be found snatching a toy away from our brothers and sisters. We don't want to be found guilty of murmuring with our brothers and sisters, and we know that He's the judge, and so that's the second way we stay on track and we stay patient. And the third way is we're going to follow the mighty men of old who have gone before us. And we find that in verse 10. Let's read verse 10. Verse 10 says, Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. So who are the prophets? Well, they're the people who spoke in the name of Yahweh. That's who the prophets are. What does that mean? What does it mean that they spoke in the name of Yahweh? Well, 
If they spoke in his name, they spoke all that he is, all that he has done, and all that he wills or all that he plans to do. That's what the mighty men of old spoke in the name of Yahweh. When he says they spoke in the name of Yahweh, their name wasn't Yahweh. When, he, when they come in the name of Yahweh, their name wasn't Yahweh. Isaiah's name wasn't Yahweh. David says, I come in the name of Yahweh when he meets Goliath. His name wasn't Yahweh. His name was David. When they spoke in the name of Yahweh, they spoke everything that Yahweh had given them to spoke. They told of who Yahweh was. They told of the things in the past, and they also foretold the future. That's what these prophets do. They spoke the word of Yahweh throughout the ages to the nation of Israel. They didn't go anywhere else. They didn't speak to anyone else. They spoke only to the nation of Israel. Okay, that's who, that's who they were sent for. They were the men who were sold out to Yahweh. They let nothing come between them and their mission, and Yahweh's hand was on their lives to use them and their circumstances as examples to Israel. Let me give you some examples of some of the prophets who went before us. I want you to think about Hosea. Everybody knows who Hosea was. He, he was married to Gomer, and she was a harlot. And Yahweh told him to marry Gomer, and he says, I want, you to, I want you to marry Gomer. She's a harlot, so that you can be an example. Hosea was a righteous man, by the way. Hosea is a very righteous man, but he was made to marry a harlot, which is absolutely embarrassing, but he had to marry a harlot so that Israel could see how wicked that they were being to Yahweh. And if that wasn't bad enough, he told him, he says, you name your first child, no compassion. And you name the second child, not my people. All this happened so that Israel could see what was in store for them through the life of the prophet. Or what about John the Baptist who had his head cut off? John was a, John was a prophet preparing the way of Yeshua. And John had his head cut off because he insisted on showing Herod his sin. Jeremiah was one who cried out to Israel and pleaded for repentance, but to no avail. Ezekiel's wife was slain in the 24th chapter of Ezekiel. Ezekiel's wife was slain by Yahweh just so he could show Israel what he was going to do to his bride, Israel. I don't know what in the world I would do, but nobody in here has ever suffered persecution that way. Nobody. And if I may be wrong, somebody in here may have suffered that kind of persecution, but I don't, I don't think so. And we have no idea what tribulation and trials are. We don't have a clue. We have a bad day, tire blows out, something don't go right at work, employees don't show up, whatever, and we think all heck is broke loose. And we don't know what trials and troubles are. We don't have a clue. I can't even fathom Yahweh taking my wife, who's done nothing wrong. She's a sinner. I don't mean it that way. But let's just say Yahweh takes her life in order to make an example of a wicked nation of people. Israel was a wicked, wicked nation of people. There were righteous mixed into it. But as a whole, all the way through the Old Testament, Israel is a rebellious, rebellious people. And Yahweh took Ezekiel's wife. He killed her. He killed her in order to show Israel what he was going to do to them. Now, Yahweh is sovereign. And he doesn't make any mistakes, so don't take me wrong. I just can't imagine that happening to my wife. I can't imagine that. That's, that's rough. And this is what happened to these prophets. These men were men of patience. Even though Ezekiel's wife was taken, he continued to serve Yahweh. He never let up. Even after Jeremiah witnessed to the king of Israel, he still waged war with Babylon and was defeated, and Israel was carried off. He was, they were carried away. These people were afflicted. They were never listened to. They were ridiculed, made fun of, mocked, and killed, and yet they had patience and were long-suffering 
for the sake of Yahweh's people. They stayed steadfast for the sake of Yahweh's people, the nation of Israel. Yeshua even said in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37, He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. All the prophets of old are classic illustrations of what suffering with patience looks like. In Acts chapter 7, most everybody in here is probably familiar with this text, but in Acts chapter 7, Stephen rebukes the leaders of Jerusalem. He calls them brothers and fathers, recognizing that they were the, his people in verse 2. He then goes on to chronicle the history of Israel all the way up to, the verse, up to verse 51. He tells them about Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses. He tells about Israel's corporate rebellion. And then he says in verse 51, he says, You have always been a stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You have always been that. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. Then they picked up stones to kill him. And they did so all while Stephen was saying this, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Brothers and sisters, that's patience. That is patience. While undergoing persecution, none of us in here has ever suffered like that. None of us has suffered like Stephen did. Yet these men of old suffered relentlessly, but endured it with patience. And James says, they are our examples to live by. The greatest example that has ever walked the face of the earth is Yeshua. He suffered beyond measure, and he was perfect. He was blameless. He was killed. He was spat upon. He was mocked. He was hung on a tree. He had nails drove through his hands, a, a crown of thorn placed on his head. They stripped his garments from him. They made a mockery of him. They made a mockery of Yahweh's one and only perfect son. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is suffering with patience. The prophets of old suffered with patience. They were chosen men set out for this. I don't know anybody. It's like that. But that's the way we're supposed to be. That's the way we're to endure our trials. We're supposed to suffer. Verse 11, let's read it. The first part anyway. It says, See, we count as blessed those who have endured. Do you think Stephen is blessed? Sure he is. I believe we'll see Stephen in the kingdom if we endure. He stayed in the faith even under the toughest time of his life. See, it's easy to profess lordship. In Christ, while things are running smooth, but it's tough when somebody's fixing to kill you for it. It's a whole different ball game. James says we count those who have endured blessed. Not the ones who quit running the race, not the ones that bailed out, but the ones who endure. See, it's not those who do great things that are blessed, but it's the ones that endure great things that are blessed. Remember the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle, and so on and so on. It's not the one who is great now that is great later. Remember, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. So James gives us another example of one who suffers for a while, and then later his reward is great in the person of Job. He asked his audience to recall the story of Job. We all know the story of Job in here, and how everything was taken from him and his children were killed. We all know that story. Remember what Satan said when he came to Yahweh? Y'all remember what he said? Satan told Yahweh that Job had a hedge of protection around him, that if Yahweh would strike him, 
that he wouldn't serve him anymore, that Job would give up on him. He wouldn't serve him. But, but because Yahweh was protecting him, Job just naturally served him. So Yahweh told Satan, he says, do as you please, just don't hurt him. So Satan did, and Job continued to serve Yahweh, and so the story goes, and like I said, we've all heard it. The point that James is making is that even as bad as the turmoil was, Job never stopped serving Yahweh. He pressed on, and in the end, Job was restored to more than he was before it all began. This is the attitude that we're to have, the one of Job. Complete and total servitude, no matter what the circumstances. And we're to have that attitude because Yahweh is very compassionate and merciful on us. We're, we're created in His image and are to imitate Him. If a holy, mighty one can have mercy on a wretched sinner, don't you think that we, the wretched sinner, can learn to have patience and endure until Almighty Yahweh acts on our behalf. Can't we learn to be what we should be? He restored Job, and if, and if we endure, it may not be in this lifetime, but Yahweh will restore us. He will restore us. Something that I have, I have come to understand in, in, in my short walk is that the life, our life, this life, the life that we live, our physical life, it is so temporary. It is so short and so temporary. And everything in it, everything in this life is not ours. It's Yahweh's. It's Yahweh's. He can and will do whatever He pleases, whenever He pleases, and however He pleases. And as soon as we get out of the way and sell out to Yahweh and become His servants, it's a whole lot easier to accept what He does with our life and with our stuff. Know this, and whatever takes place in life, no matter how bad it is, it's not, not near as bad as Yeshua had it. Not near as bad. None of us have been nailed to a tree. None of us were perfect and then been nailed to a tree. A lot of people have been nailed to a tree, but none of them before Christ, none of them were flawless. None of them were perfect. So we won't ever endure like that. None of us. So because of Yahweh's great compassion and the work of His only Son, you can have restoration to eternal life. So while we wait on that, do so with a good attitude. Not grumbling with your brother. Do it with patience and long-suffering, not only with circumstances, but also with people. Not only with the circumstances that you're dealt with in life, don't just have patience dealing with those, but also with people. The people that come and try you, have patience with them also. And do it always with the expectation that today is the last day you have to serve Him. We may not have tomorrow. Today may be the last day that you ever get to serve Yahweh. Do it with patience. Do it with patience waiting on His Son to return. Brothers and sisters, patience comes when we live in anticipation of Yahweh's coming, and when we live in fear of His judgment, and when we live after the example of the endurance of the saints, the prophets of old, by whose example we learn that Yahweh perfects us through our trials, and we come out better for them to Yahweh's glory. Yahweh, Father, I thank You for this day, and thank You for Your blessings, Father. I thank You for the trials and the troubles that come our way. Not that we like them, not that it's fun, Yahweh, but I thank You for the refining of our souls that you do through through the trials in our life. Father, I pray that you'd give us some wisdom to seek your understanding in these times. And Father, always be mindful that um, that you're standing at the door and that your son is on his way. And Father, in the blink of an eye, he could be here. And so Father, I just pray that you would uh, let us... Let us always use the prophets as examples. Let us turn to your word and seek seek what, what you have given us through the, through the men of old. 
And, Father, let us be like them. Let us be like your son. Let us walk in his ways. Let us be patient with others, be kind, but but always being steadfast and, and um, holding on to what you've given us. Father, we love you. And we, we do look for the day of the of the coming of Yeshua, and we give you praise for the ordination of that day. And um, we look forward to it, Father. We ask all these things in your precious and holy son's name. Amen.